So Will Ashen, should we start this review of No Time to Die with a classic Bond intro? What would a classic Bond intro be for us, John? For us? Mm. Well, we could maybe just sing a little bit of a tune. We already did the cold open just now, yeah. and then it fades into music. We could do a song about how Cinemaholics is as dangerous as it is sexy. Sure. I was going to say, this is the first Bond film we reviewed, right? We haven't gotten a Bond film in six years, so yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, because... We missed the boat. I was going to say, because I didn't realize how long it had been since Spectre had come out. I remember, because I mentioned to you after we saw No Time to Die, I was like, Will, I hope that before we get another Bond film, it's like a decade of time. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of like, oh, maybe, I don't know, a decade's a long time or whatever. But we, we went six years. That's a little over half a decade. I mean, I think that's traditionally how long Bond films come out, like three to six years, if I'm not mistaken. Like three years. Let's see. So Casino Royale, 2006. Quantum of Solace was what, 2009? Yeah. I and mean, just... Skyfall, 2012? I'm talking like Bond throughout the, um, the years as a franchise, I think. Uh, oh, you mean in between? So like Die yeah. Another Day, that was what, like 2002? I think. Yeah, it was right after 9-11. That was uh, a point of conversation I was going to make later. But yeah, it was 2002, and then what was uh, Casino Royale 2006? Yeah, so yeah. that was only four years four of a years, break. Yeah. yeah, we got more time mm-hmm. in between Spectre and this one. Yeah, well, to be fair, this was supposed to come out last year. It was ready to go. It was in the can. Yeah, it would have been five years though. Otherwise, yes. it's just still longer. Yeah, though I think that the Craig films have um, traditionally taken longer after Quantum of Solace. That was a good that was a good song intro that we just did right now. Sure. Um this is Cinemaholics. I'm John Agroni. He's Will Ashton. Yes. Hello. Yada yada. Yeah. I think toward the end of this show, because this is a bonus episode, obviously, we're gonna we're gonna do spoilers. We're gonna talk about No Time to Die. Now it's opening in the UK this weekend. So if you're listening to this before October first, if you're listening to this before October eighth when it opens in the US, mm-hmm. don't worry. We're, we're not gonna spoil anything about the movie. We're gonna tell you what we thought. Toward the end, though, we will get into spoilery stuff. So you can pause it, watch the movie when you can, or maybe you're a critic or somebody who saw it early. Maybe you went to an advanced screening. You can listen to it in that case as well, because we have a lot of stuff to talk about in a little bit of a spoilery section toward the Mm -hmm. end there. But first, the movie. No time to die. Bond, any thug can kill. I have to know I can trust you. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. You are a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. Is this really what you want? Always alone? to be able to get into a room with the enemy. Now they're just floating in the ether. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. Oh my God, target enough people. And the people become the weapon. Who is he? James, you don't know what this is. James Bond. License to kill. 
in love with Madeline Swan. I could be speaking to my own reflection. I guess first place to start, Daniel Craig. This is it. No more Daniel Craig is James Bond. We've done yeah. that for a while. This is going to be his, his final bout. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth maybe summing up real quick. Well, I mean, yeah, the Daniel Craig years. What would you think? Yeah, I was going to ask you the same thing. I wanted to ask you first how you felt about Bond in general, like as a franchise, but also Craig. Like a refresher? Because we've talked about Bond. Yeah, we've talked about Bond a decent bit. Um, not like in depth, though, as far as like we said, we haven't done a review of one of the films, obviously, because we had ha- we haven't had the chance to do mm-hmm. so. Yeah, we started Cinemaholics in 2017. Mm-hmm. You and I were first doing movie stuff in 2016. So like, yeah, yeah, charting the right. friendship. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as uh, the Craig Bond films, to answer your question, um, I've always enjoyed them. I don't think I've had the same nostalgia for them as some of the earlier Bond films. Uh, I grew up, I guess, between the the Brosnan era and the Craig era. Yeah, we're Brosnan boys, you and me. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I my introduction to Bond will always be Die Another Day. So uh, for better or for worse, I typically associate Bond with being a little bit goofier, sillier, like the uh, like the Roger Moore type movies. I think that's in my head canon. That's kind of like how I see Bond is kind of like goofy and lighthearted. And he's always quick with the quips and he has the little guns and he sleeps with various beautiful women and he takes bad guys out in exotic locales and uh you know, he travels the world. Yeah, goes everywhere. And uh, the the Craig films have been like, what if he did all that stuff? But he was but just while sad, really sad. Yes, which I think if you're just you know like a midwestern guy throwing twelve bucks on the table, and you want you 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 live a life that's not always happy, you just you're like, well, maybe I can enjoy some escapism, see the world through the eyes of uh, a suave, charismatic super spy who is uh, always quick with a joke and dashing in uh, every manner. And it's just like, what if he was sad too? And uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I think Casino Royale, it, I definitely enjoyed it. I mean, as a return to like kind of the, it was like the nice little jumpstart that the franchise needed because Die Another Day, for however you feel about the film, it just felt like a relic from another time by the came, it came, the time it came out in 2002 it was coming off of uh you know like a new time for not only you know entertainment but just like in the world at large with 9-11 it just seemed antiquated to have like this kind of goofy it's a 1999 movie that came out in 2002 exactly yeah and it was coming out the same year as uh or an identity if i'm not mistaken and Born identity was just kind of as far as entertainment was concerned everyone's just like yes this is kind of the more timely on. yeah it was like mm-hmm. the more t- timely uh, irreverent sort of film that we wanted like like the action was no hold bars it was grittier it felt like when someone got punched in that movie it felt like someone got punched it wasn't just like you know like like slapdash and silly like the uh, like Die Another Day could be so to reflect that and also I guess in a later respect to reflect the um, the Nolanization of uh, blockbusters we got the Craig films which I think with Kissy Royale like we said was like kind of the boost that it needed. It, was, it it brought it back down to earth a little bit. Craig had uh, kind of more integrity to him as Bond. Like he, it felt like he was kind of getting rough and tumble with it. He was fighting the guy in the parkour scene. Like that was like the real moment where I was like, okay, Bond feels electrifying again. This is fun. He bleeds. He gets hurt. He's yes, vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to mention this. I, I'm glad you brought up Bourne. I was going to mention like that movie is a complete reaction to Jason Bourne. It just is. I mean, Bourne mm-hmm. kind of just shook up action movies, especially action spy movies, in a huge way. And clearly, that's what the Broccoli's, you know, Barbara Broccoli, the famous you know James yes. Bond rights handler, had in mind for this character of like, here's how we bring him into the next uh, generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think. Um... Craig was always a good fit. Like, I never felt like he was bad in the role. But the thing that, I guess, differentiated Craig from the other Bond, so far as I can recall, is that he had kind of more of a weighted conscience in the sense that, like, all the films from Craig's era weren't quite uh, episodic. Like, they had a sort of loose but bleeding narrative throughout where Craig was weared down by people he lost along the way the the guilt that he's felt like doing you know these terrible crimes in the name of civility yeah, and all this there's stuff way more there's way more continuity in these yeah compared to the other bond films and i think that indicative of this movie bond is a dynamic character he's usually an iconic static character in all the mm-hmm. other movies he doesn't really change save for a couple of films here and there in the roger moore era yeah and then i think Quantum of Solace tried to do that in a way that I felt I, I think I'm more sympathetic towards that film, but it felt very jittery. Like it felt maybe a little too reactionary to um to Casino Royale. Like it was, I think, trying too hard to kind of have like a, an edge to it in a way that people were pretty put off by. It also suffered because the writer's strike prevented the film from having a uh streamlined script. And so that was that kind of was like, oh, okay, maybe the Bond films aren't saved like we thought we were with Casino Royale. But then comes Skyfall, which was, you know, like like you said before, to borrow your phrase, another shot in the arm. It was, you know, tackling the same ideas. Uh, the only big difference now is that somehow between three films, Daniel Craig went from like the young whippersnapper Bond who is younger and lighter on his feet to being an old man who is just barely able to hang on uh, as 007. But I think it worked. Like thematically, it made sense. It was a film that felt like, okay, like what is Bond's place in the 21st century and it was really well done very well shot obviously uh i forget if roger roger Eakins didn't win the oscar for that one but i remember he was nominated uh he was yeah yeah and then um you know great uh adele song it just was like it had everything i think people wanted from bond in the 21st century but then specter comes along and it felt like it was trying to double down all that stuff and it just it's not terrible. I just didn't quite land. They stick the landing, I think, as well as the previous film did, which leads us into No Time to Die, where I think by this point, everyone just kind of feels tired, especially uh, Daniel Craig. It just looks like he's like got these bags under his eyes. Like It feels like he is just weighed down by this franchise at this point uh, in a way that I think fits the character as far as like what they want Bond to be in these films. But at the same time, you can't help but wonder, like, what would these films be like if they allowed themselves to have maybe a little bit more fun with the character? Lots of fun. Lots of Craig is having fun. Um, it's so funny because I was thinking about this and I was kind of like, all right, let's look back on the Bond years. And I know you were you were hoping to ask me, like you mentioned this off the air, but you're like, you know, let's, let's talk about your Bond baggage. Right. And sure. for me, Bond, like, OK, so. My introduction, like a lot of people our age, right, is Pierce Brosnan. GoldenEye mm-hmm. comes out. Everybody loves it. We're watching that thing on VHS. I wasn't allowed to watch it. Who cares? I have a really cool uncle. So I'm watching that thing, and I'm having a great time. My first time watching a Bond movie in the movie theater 
is Tomorrow Never Dies. The hype for that movie that I had, I played the video game. I, you know, the internet was still pretty young, but I was finding websites about it. And I was, I was, I was seven years old, by the way, <laughs> I was very young and I was super into James Bond at this point. Tomorrow Never Dies comes out. I absolutely love it unconditionally. I've watched it many times since it's, you know, it's my, that's my nostalgia. World is not enough. Liked it a lot less, but still I'm a kid, you know, I'm, I'm still a lot watching these things. This in a lot of ways is like James Bond was like the first kind of like adultish mature movie I had like a fan obsession with. I loved the character. I loved the media around the character. And when those movies come out and I'm starting to get a little bit older, internet's becoming more and more of a thing. That's when I start to discover Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton. That's when I'm like actually like getting into the canon of James Bond. I start watching the older films. I watch things like Dr. No. And I think Goldfinger was like the first classic Bond that I ever watched. And I'm I love every second of it. There's a lot of those movies I like more than others, for sure. <laughs> a few that I enjoy in a very ironic way. Sure. But it's such a great, it's such a fun canon. 25 films with no time to die. Yes. And that's where we are, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there are a few outliers. Well, I mean, there was like the extra one that Connery did. There I was, was going to say. Before Dr. No, mm-hmm. the unofficial James Bond movie. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, yeah, if, if it's 26, if you count that extra one from whatever that was, like the 90s or 80s, when Connor was just like, I'm going to play Bond again. And he was like, yeah, whatever, like a 60 year old man. Broccolis. Yeah, yeah. It was just like he just did it on his own through some like loophole. I guess like the rights to that book or something was outside of the. I don't know. I don't exactly know how he got away with I've that. I've never one, seen it. Yeah. There, there are a few Bond films I haven't seen. That's one of them. And okay, I've seen one that of these one. days, I'll be a completionist. Yeah, I've seen. I'm a completionist for Bond. Um, I grew up with the franchise. I, I've seen all of them. They all kind of bleed together for me because I saw them around the same time with the exception of the new films, obviously. So, okay. um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't like pinpoint exactly like what happens in said film, but I have some nostalgia, at least for the franchise as a whole. Like, I, I really enjoy the franchise. I do think it's the rare sort of franchise where it's kind of like pizza in that like even the weaker Bond films are still pretty watchable and, and yeah, have their, their charm. It's cheap, yeah. it's pizza. I like yeah, it. exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are, you know, higher grades than other, but like if you put on a Bond film on cable, like there's a decent chance you'll get something out of it if you just kind of watch it passively. It's just, yeah. you know, the, the action's always fun. The, the set pieces, it's kind of hard with all the gadgets and all that. It, it, it's hard to make a truly unwatchable Bond film, no matter how people feel about uh, Quantum Solace. Mm-hmm. They're, they are amusing time capsules in a lot of ways, too. You know, it's a fun way to go back in time to sort of see what are the attitudes yeah. and the sensibilities of the people who liked it, especially right. the Bond movies from the 80s. What yeah. a weird decade for Bond. 70s, oh, sure. too, to an extent. Yeah, like as soon as Connery was out of it. But I think the, the, the key to Bond's longevity is that, like, it's just male wish fulfillment. It's just a way for guys in particular, not to say that women can't enjoy it, obviously, but men in particular there's just something you know like what if we could just go around the world and have a martini and you know say the right thing at the right time and all this stuff and it's it's very slight sort of entertainment like i think the bond films i'm more nostalgic for don't have any pretenses about what they are they just kind of have like i think they can be very good films but like like golden Fi- goldfingers you mentioned is probably i think like the quintessential bond film and that has everything yeah, you want yeah. in a bond film and it gets the job done, and it, it, ha- it has something to say about Bond as a character, but for the most part, it's entertaining and fun. And, and uh, yeah, I think I find myself, I guess, watching these films a little nostalgic for those in the sense that, like, I think these films 
are so caught up in what they want to say about the character that they sometimes forget to have fun. And that's not to say that these films are boring or anything like that all the time. But I, I do feel like, especially with these two most recent Bond films, that it's becoming apparent that the franchise, if it wants to compete with, say, Fast and Furious or Mission Possible in particular, or like John Wick or anything like that, it kind of needs to... <laughs> yes, it, it, it kind of needs to like get out of its moody phase and do something a little bit, I guess, uh, more um, fun loving, I guess. I, I feel like mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's where Quantum of Solace fell short. It, it just it didn't have an identity. You know, the identity carved on Casino Royale kind of dissipated. And I think that, you know, and, and I have a couple of things I want to mention, but I think that they did sort of carve out a this is our style. This is our we're a prestige Yes. international action feature that's kind of what skyfall is i think that's what no time to die is it's mm-hmm. like this is elevated mission impossible and they're kind of moving i think no time to die is trying to add some of the fun stuff in there too and it doesn't always go together super well sometimes it's like yeah horn and and bunch of crunch you don't think it would go together but it's kind of cool yeah i see it's like men's health magazine as a film franchise like it's kind of classy hey, but it has some like sleaze <laughs> to it at the same time and it's just like like there is an air of like sophistication to it, but at the same time, at the end of the day, it's just about like cheap fle- pleasures and like you know just like, kind of enjoying it in the moment and just moving on. That's how I always saw Bond as a franchise. Sure. That's a movie franchise, at least. I, I can't speak to the books. Yeah, yeah, I haven't read the books either, but yeah, I mean, look when I when I what I like about these movies, they're elemental, right? You know, you mentioned it, the male wish fulfillment. I think going even deeper, he's. A character that I think is so fun because he's like an accessible, clever Superman. We don't we know that he the guy is basically bulletproof. He's going to get out of all his messes. And in a way, yeah, it's like it's not like a comic book because it's a little bit more grounded. So you're able to sort of be in his shoes a little bit better. And that's obviously changed more with the Craig films. And it's it's very elemental movie making, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it's easy, like. Okay, the setup here's key with all the gadgets. We know the gadgets are going to come into play. The fun is seeing like the setup payoff throughout mm-hmm. the film, and you know you forget about like the gadgets right when they need it, especially when you're younger, like when we're watching those movies as kids, because you're enraptured by all these amazing locations and the femme fatales and all this yes. fun stuff that's like scattered throughout. And it's just it's a formula that really works. It's predictable, but it's really satisfying for a certain audience. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why I was kind of amused when you mentioned that this was like your quote unquote first adult film or one of your first adult films, because for me, it's always like been a fairly boyish franchise. It's kind of like for how like in the earlier years of, or the earlier generations, I mean, they had like kind of like these like serialized Westerns where they could just like kind of like as a kid, like you could watch them on like black and white TVs and like have like a little toy gun shoot with like the bad guys and all that stuff. It's I feel like that's like kind of like how I see the franchise as well. It's just like it's a way for. Yeah, like 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 young you know adolescent boys to kind of enjoy this weird yeah you know like yeah. it's a very european look into uh a very formulaic trophy type uh franchise but one that that has uh a solid foundation more often than not and, and has very uh enjoyable uh delights throughout if i can clarify these weren't my first adult movies what i was trying to say there was these were the first movies that as a kid that were f- for adults mainly but i was like a in a fandom. Right. It was like my I first adult yeah. fandom that I was really like in. Like mm-hmm. I was obsessed with the character. Like it was so different from if I saw something like 
right? Uh, any of the John Carpenter films. If I saw Halloween, I wasn't sure. really big. Like I wasn't a fan of like Halloween movies until I was a bit older. I was a, like mm-hmm. a younger teenager. But when I, this was when I was like six, seven, eight years old. I'm like, I love the character. I love the lore around the character. I was going to mention earlier too that for me, Brosnan represents like my childhood in a lot of ways because Gold Knight comes out like I think when I'm like four or five years old, those movies are coming all the way out until I'm a teenager. And then the first Daniel Craig movie comes out when I'm 16 and I can kind of look at, oh, wow. So up until this point, Daniel, the Daniel Craig Bond films kind of represent my coming of age of when I'm 16 years old, all the way up. Now I'm in my thirties. Right. And I can kind of like, it's fun. I can sort of like trace back a lot of life moments through these films and, and kind of the journey of that. And for me, that's where the nostalgia is. It's very recent nostalgia, but it's it's potent uh, because I, I definitely have seen myself sort of like change as uh, as somebody who loves, loves film over these years and analyzing these different movies. And I think that's why No Time to Die kind of in the way that it culminates. And I, I guess it's time to talk about the actual movie. It, there's a lot in this movie that I, I find myself really fascinated with as a longtime fan that I want to get into because I wrote I wrote this in my review. I think No Time to Die is like this interesting cocktail of all of these different things that do or don't work in the Daniel Craig Bond movies and some extra bonus flavors from some Brosnan and Roger Moore stuff, I think. And I, I mentioned it's like, this is like the super high level part of my my review of it. But for me, it has like on the plus side, it has like the really like complete story of Casino Royale. I know that film kind of ends on a cliffhanger, but for me, I think the narrative of Casino Royale is very easy to just, it could be standalone. I know that they keep bringing stuff up, bringing stuff up from that movie and pretending like there are loose ends, but there really aren't that many in the first film. And I think that like that the the integrity of that narrative, we have that in No Time to Die, I think, at least in my opinion, I think we have the really creative set pieces and cinematography and just everything technical just being right on point that we get in Skyfall. But then we have the negatives from Quantum of Solace and Spectre. Quantum of Solace is, I think, very weak villain and where that movie kind of just is going along to go along. It, It feels like a part two to another movie you know, this is No Time to Die is like the part two to Spectre. And then speaking of Spectre, I think like in that movie, we have just this very like mess of lore and stuff of like you had to have seen Spectre and yes. all of the sort of like we're, we're so caught up in the legend of James Bond way more than tell a new story, tell a different story about James Bond. I think that's that's where this movie suffers like that and the villain, I think, are, and the length a little bit, too. Are where this thing kind of falls apart, uh, but what do you think? No, I think you brought uh, you broke it down pretty well in that, like, yeah, I think, like you said, the legacy of Bond is becoming such a shadow over the franchise that it, it almost prevents Craig's films from having their own sense of self in some respects. Like they they feel like they have to like kind of they they constantly feel like they have to prove themselves even five films in, like what they're trying to do, what their vision is. Like I said, it's a cohesive vision for the most part, I think, and I think they're more often than not pretty well-made films and they have, like we said, like this kind of classy air of sophistication as far as how they uh, present themselves or how they approach uh, filmmaking or action or anything like that. But at the same time, yeah, it, it does. It's hard not to feel the length and the weight of the weight of this thing, just because it's trying to do so much, trying to say so much about the franchise and the character and all this stuff to the point where the escapism 
starts to suffer as a result. And that's not to say that the film isn't pleasurable or entertaining to watch, but uh, especially I think in the second half of this thing, you, you, you do feel like the kind of the burden of the character in a way that I don't think was necessarily intended by the filmmakers. I think that's right on. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I want to set this up, this movie up too, because we haven't gotten into the details. So who made this movie? Who is the mind behind it? We've gotten Sam Mendes for the last two films. And I think, yeah, Mendes did a terrific job with Skyfall. We mentioned Roger Deakins. I think there was, there was a different cinematographer for Spectre. I, I think, uh, yeah, Spider-Man, the, you know, um, before, wasn't he? interstellar guy. I forget. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm but. forgetting his name. And I, th- I think I know it was it Lin- No, this one was Linus Sandgren. Yeah, no, uh, Spectre was shot by like Hote. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but like, it's a guy. Look it up. Yeah. I, I know who you're talking about though. Yeah. Which Spectre, I, I'd say like Spectre has some really good moments. I, I don't think the cinematography is bad in that movie. I just think that it's not quite up to what I liked about Skyfall. Like, I don't, I don't remember the set pieces nearly as like closely is like i remember total moments out of specter and a lot yeah. of production design and everything which is a whole job yeah i mean specter for me especially rewatching the film um before this review uh it, it it's very clear to me that like it's a movie of moments but i don't really remember the story for instance like i had forgotten <laughs> until i rewatched the film that hot priest guy was in it and he plays a fairly prominent antagonist in I the film i forgot that too <laughs> right i just like I mean, it's just kind of going through the motion story-wise, I feel like, with especially with, I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but Blofeld being in the film and all that. Uh, it just it, It's another, yeah. like we said, like film that's like kind of caught up in like, we have to do Blofeld because, you know, like it's the most, it's, you know, like the, exactly. it's a Lex Luthor of the, um, the Bond franchise. And it's like, we kind of have to like throw him in here. But uh, the way that they integrate, um Blofeld into this franchise is very reminiscent of Star Trek in the Darkness, where it's like they're almost sort of ashamed that they're introducing Blofeld into this. They're like, well, we kind of have to do this. Um, we're, we're sorry. Well, and also the movie lends so much dramatic weight to that revelation. And a lot of people are going to be like, OK, and they, they try to. That's the thing. It, it's just like, you know, the, the Wrath of Khan thing. He's like, oh, he's Khan. And it's like it, it's only a moment if you are caught up on the franchise. And I think that that's a weakness. I mean, that's a downside. I think like that, the the thing that they try to do with it though, is they try to like say like, Oh, they try to retcon. He was behind everything across every movie. And I think it rings super hollow because the previous movies kind of established like what really happened already. And so it just feels like they're rewriting it in order to lend dramatic weight to something for people who don't know or care who Blofeld is. It's it's a shame too, because I mean, Christoph Waltz, who shows up again in this movie in No Time to Die, yeah. he should be like, he was a great Bond villain before he was any in any Bond film. A lot of people were like, yeah. put him in a Bond film. Yeah. And I I think that it was a, a bit of fan casting that didn't quite work for me because I think mm-hmm. it was almost too on the nose. Yeah. But um, I mean, I will say I agree with you in that I think the uh, villain of this film is ultimately the weakest of the franchise. I mean, I I do push back against the quantum assault. I don't think he's an amazing villain, but I do. I think what they were doing with that villain is pretty interesting, especially as far as like what his intentions were, were actually like pretty good. He just had the wrong way of going about it, <laughs> you know, because he sacrificed human life for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I just thought he he felt like an afterthought. To I don't know. I oh, probably. I, I just think the idea of the character is interesting. So I mean, I don't hate the villain, 
Um, but with this film, well, it's well, like can the I movie, say the villain of this yeah. film? I, one thing yes. I do find interesting, and, and you can get into it for sure. I do like that they are kind of. I, I like how they're handling the Doctor No thing. He's clearly they're tr- they're clearly trying to do the Doctor No thing without him actually literally being Doctor No. And I wish that's yeah. how we had done the Blofeld thing. It's like mm-hmm. set him up in a way where it's the same thing, but you don't lend this like big twist element to it. It's like no, he's just they're just sort of recycling it, but uh, and, and twisting it in a, an unusual way and. I think in concept, like the theory of it's uh, it's a good one, but yeah, yeah. Otherwise, but with the with Rami Malek's character in this film, especially for what's essentially a three hour film, we see him at the beginning of it, obviously, and I think that's a pretty good cold open uh, in more ways than one. Uh, but <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but the movie's like trying to do so much this time that it's just like like ninety minutes in, it's just like, hey, we are we forgetting something? Like, oh, what do you mean? Like, oh, there's something. Oh, the villain. We got to put the villain back in the movie, and so like. You know, like after like this long pause, like uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the villain of the movie. He's here, too. Yeah, Yeah, we should uh, kind of establish him, I guess, in this narrative, I think. They give him like maybe one scene in the second act, like like the early parts of the second. act. I mean, it's hard to put this movie into acts. It's so long. But I'm just thinking of like they give him one scene and it's such a bad scene. Because it does not really get across, like you can't really put heads or tails on it. And I think without giving away like certain elements of the plot, I think that they're trying so hard to make you question who is bad in this movie. And they're trying to set up like, oh, maybe this person was lying about what they said. Maybe this person's secretly evil. That yeah, to your point, we can't have like real interactions between the villain and any of the other right. characters. Because it's like they want to keep it a secret for some reason. And yeah, it's, it's a big downside. Although I do think that they kind of bring a villain into this movie uh, who we won't say who he or she is, but they, it, I, I was confused. Cause I was like, well, if they're the villain, why aren't they like, I don't know. This movie just does things with these characters that aren't satisfying. It's like, they set something up. There's this big like antagonism. There's going to be a big, and then it's just like really quick how it all mm-hmm. resolves. Like that happens like two or three times in this. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, I, I don't necessarily mind that as much, but I can, I think that's a fair criticism, but yeah, with the villain, I agree with you. I think it, it almost feels like the film is disappointed that the previous film used the Blofeld card already because like it would have made way sure. more sense to use Blofeld as the villain of this movie as far as like where they lead up with that character, because it, it would have been okay if the villain wasn't, mu- it was an afterthought in this, if it wasn't so crucial that the villain play a big part in the third act. I think that's where the film ultimately kind of gets on uh, wobbly legs because I think, I mean, maybe this is where we disagree, but I think the first half of this movie is actually really solid and well-made and uh, I was with it and I was like, okay, maybe this will be like the appropriate uh, predecessor to Skyfall and Casino Royale. Like I think uh, Kerry Fukunakwa is like really strong as a, an action director and I think, you know, his Yeah, we forgot of- to mention him. He's a director for this one. Yeah, yes. he's, he's good. He's a good director. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first American director to make a Bond film, right? Um, I think he's the first. I'd have to fact check that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty. I remember that was like that was kind of a big deal in a way that, like, you know, like whenever like they change something with the Bond franchise, it, it kind of becomes like like British tabloids like get upset about it for like half a second and then they like get over it. <laughs> like for instance, <laughs> you remember when um when it was announced that Daniel Craig was going to be Bond and people were like, a blonde Bond. Like, can we, can we have this? Is this allowed to have a blonde Bond? And then, you know, people got over it because they saw well, Casino Royale. Yeah. There was also weirdness about Martin Campbell because he's new, he's from New Zealand and, you know, oh, okay. people yeah, are so, weird. 
Okay. Well, I guess so, yeah. So he, he's not a European director, but this is, I believe, the first American filmmaker to make a Bond film. And I think, the, you know, obviously the, the Brits are very protective of Bond for understandable reasons. Uh, it's like one of their biggest outsources as a country. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think Kerry Fukunaka has proved himself and I think he does a nice job for the most part. But I think he he just kind of feels like he's like at the service of the franchise here. Like, I think he puts his own touches. And it, it, if you look at the film, like, it's clear that it's a Fukunaka film, uh, especially given that it's the first Fukunaka film I think we've gotten since Beast of No Nation, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's, it doesn't feel as fully realized as previous films because he's, you know, he's basically not like a director for hire, but like he's here in the service of the franchise and, and kind of getting Craig to the final destination which we'll talk about obviously later on but um yeah i i kind of wish there was more fuqua fukunakwa's hand in it as far as like a filmmaker but i think what he's doing here is for the most part entirely competent yeah so fukunaga i think he's probably best known for true detective uh he was the director of i think the all eight episodes of the first season. Yes. If I'm not mistaken about that. Yes. I mean, that, that's really like, that's back like 2014 ish. That's really when he comes on the scene. I know he did the Jane Eyre movie before that, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that that had as big of a well, splash. Uh, Sin Nombre was a big festival darling. And then he did it was Jane a festival Eyre. darling, but it, it yeah. you know, I'm, I'm thinking more of like a bigger kind of like film. That was kind of like a, an indie thriller. Yeah. But, Beast of No Nation uh, was supposed to be, Beast of Mm -hmm. No Nation was after that, but it was supposed to be like the bigger thing, right? It was supposed to be his big Oscar push, but because of the whole Netflix shenanigans, like that movie, which, you know, he, he directed it, he wrote it, you know, he Mm -hmm. even, I think he even shot that film and uh, it had Idris Elba, Elba, like, you know, and a real Abraham Atah. I think that they should have gotten some Oscar attention, but because of the Netflix shenanigans, it got totally snubbed. Wouldn't, wouldn't have happened if it come out like last year. Right. Um, yes. And, and then to your point, I think he's only done one other film since, but he wrote, uh, he was a screenwriter for it. And then I think, I think well, that's he was, it because he did maniac. Yeah. I'm getting to it. <laughs> and yeah, no, no, but I was going to say, um, he's like a very particular filmmaker. Like I think he has like a very specific vision for things. I know like he's like kind of gone on and off of projects sort of like Fincher because like, he's very like, he has a very like exacting style about that, which is why I'm kind of surprised that it didn't, this movie didn't feel more like a Fukunaka film in the scheme of things. Sure. Sure. Um, he has another thing coming out, uh, on Apple TV. I think, I think by the end of the year called masters of the year, uh, he directed some episodes of that, Okay, but, yeah, I mean, obviously very talented guy. And I think that you can see his stamp on this movie. There are times when there it there's some there there are just like placements of like Asian like iconography and, and touches that are seemingly random. Um, but at other times I think that they, they go really well together to make the actual locations feel very unique and interesting and memorable. But I think when it comes down to I actually don't disagree with you. You mentioned this earlier. I I think I'm with you on the first half of this movie. I think the first half of No Time to Die, I was like, I'm loving this. This is like exactly what I wanted from the last Craig film. I think it's a really great combination of things. But then, yeah, to your point, it's like once you start to notice, it's like, okay, the villain isn't really going to be that satisfying here. I, I just don't think this film is prioritizing the villain. They're, they're really prioritizing uh, Leia Sadu's character. It's a bit like the Living Daylights in that respect. And I'm fine yeah, with that. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I think that 
yeah, sure. Like, go ahead and do that. I think like, I, I don't know. I think the movie that was intending for both to sort of have like an equal sort of relationship a little bit closer to, I'd say, Casino Royale. I think Casino Royale did this the best, where I think Vesper, um, and I think, um, I forget his name, but Mads Mikkelsen's character in Casino Royale, I think it's like, that that struck such a perfect balance between the Bond girls, obviously very crucial to the story, but so is the villain, and the villain is very subversive too, and I just, when I come, if I have to pick a favorite, I think Casino Royale is still the champ. Like I just, there's nothing about that movie. Yeah. Okay. It's not the best at everything. It doesn't mm-hmm. have the best things from the Craig era, but I just think if you look at like an all around great James Bond movie, that's probably the one. Um, I don't know. I think some people say Skyfall, but not me. Yeah. I mean, I rewatched the, the Craig films leading up to this review and uh, initially I was I was with you. I, I considered Casino Royale to be the best Craig film, but I was really won over this time rewatching Skyfall. Um, I still think it's a little too self-serious because it's a Sam Mendes film and I don't think the man's ever told a joke in his life. But um, I, I, I do think that uh, that film, especially on rewatch, uh, just really scratched the itch. That was one from Bond this time around. So I'll give that one the edge this time. But I think, yeah, I think Skyfall and Casino Royale were obviously the heights of the craig era and i think you'll find few people that dispute that but um yeah i'm very curious to know where no time to die falls for people i i'm guessing it's going i think critically it's going to be well received i think among fans it's going to be kind of divisive for reasons i'm sure we'll discuss later yeah. on yeah i think what i'm seeing a lot i'm seeing a lot of effusive praise right now so far from critics mostly i'm seeing some people be i think like a lot of people are saying, okay, it's not as good as Casino Royale and Skyfall. You know, whether or not you kind of swap those two as your fave, people are kind of being like, it's like comfortably in the middle, like the third best, really, which is really good. And yeah, that's it's where I'd put it. An improvement yeah. over the other two that, yeah, Spectre and Quantum. Yeah, that's where I put it. I mean, and I, like I said, I don't, I don't think Craig ever fully fumbled the ball. Not that he had like full creative involvement with the films, but um, I think his. His era as Bond was, for the most part, pretty strong. But at the same time, I feel like uh, Skyfall and Casino Royale was like the two times where he really got right. And the other three films are like, yeah, these are good. Like, they're like, if you watch them, especially if you like watch the action scenes on their own, it's just like, yeah, this is really solid, well-made filmmaking. But as uh, um, a franchise, like if you were to evaluate on its own terms, you can't help but feel like it's a little lacking because not only is it so burdensome in what it's trying to do and say about the character, but like you said, so beholden to the franchise and the character's legacy that can't really ever fully stand out on its own and, and be its own little thing in the way that I think the other previous Bond films, for the most part, were able to do, at least as far as like the character or the actor arcs of those of their time with the characters. Yeah, yeah. I was going to mention, I, I was, it's like a checkerboard, you know, it's been reliably, every other movie has been really good. And then the other one has been not as good. Uh, and at that, Hey, that lasted with, uh, sure. all six of, or I guess, uh, five of these, huh? But yes. I know I'm, I'm very curious, like how this movie would have turned out if Danny Boyle had ended up doing it instead. I'm glad we got yeah, Naga because I think he had a really fresh perspective for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was going to mention too because we didn't say the story and and I didn't get into the plot either in my review. I, I think that it's not important to get into. And I, I think that it, it is one of those movies where I think the plot is also kind of an afterthought. I mean, it's basically kind of doing mission impossible too, like in terms of like subject matter and, 
you know, we got to get the the thing for the, you know, this, there's a disease, you know, and, and I'm sure I, I wasn't even aware that that was part of the plot until I saw the movie. And I was like, oh gosh, no wonder, you know, mm-hmm. like they were one of the first movies to be like, okay, we gotta, we gotta get far away from COVID. <laughs> and, um, you know, ultimately they weren't able to get far away enough, but it, it, it is kind of darkly funny, you know, how this movie, if it had come out like just a little bit earlier, you know, like they would yeah. have avoided uh, the the obvious comparisons. Although I think coming out right now, I think a lot of people are going to watch it. It'll be like a momentary like, ah, uh, but then you just kind of forget about it because, sure. you know, yeah, we've gotten used to it at this point. Yeah, it's just part of our lives now, I guess. Yeah, I was also going to mention Leah Sidhu. I, I, I don't I don't dislike her. I think that her character is badly written. I think yes. that was the case in Spectre. I think there's just the, the weirdness element of how she I, is like the daughter of the guy who gets murdered in Casino Royale. Sure. And just, they just never really get to the heart of that, do they? But yeah, her is like the true love of James Bond. Right. It's kind of like, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's where that's what I was going to say is that like when you watch Casino Royale, like there's that scene where Eva Green and Daniel Craig met, meet on the train and it's just like the spark is instantaneous. And it's just like, oh, right. yeah, like. These two are like, you know, like get a room, you two. Like these two, like they're gonna, like you know, like they they got it. But um, and even like to some extent, like Naomi Harris and um Daniel Craig, like it, they're not like meant to be lovers, but there is like that chemistry that they share together. So like even if they, it, it would have been weird, but they had made a money penny money penny relationship with Bond, it would be like okay, I, I can at least buy it because they have chemistry. Oh yeah, with like Lena Sudo or Sudex. Um, Lena Sudo. I think Sudu. is how you pronounce it. Like I said, good actress, but like, yeah, I just kind of felt like, yeah, like the, I could buy them as like uh, like a fling. Um, sure. You know, like they, they they seem nice and up together, and they 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 get along. It seems. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, yeah, when I saw this movie, had not rewatched uh, Spectre beforehand, uh, only afterwards. I was just like, oh, yeah, like I forgot about Leon Sona and it, like watching. It's like, oh, I guess they're they're supposed to be the the love of each other's yeah. lives. Like, I, I guess they keep invoking Vesper Lind, Eva yeah. Green's character, as like, this is a romance to rival that one. And, you know, uh, we're kind of watching like, uh, no, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't feel that uh, here. And I don't I'm not sure exactly what it is. I think we haven't gotten into some of the new additions, though. Because we, we've seen Lisa doing this before. Naomi Harris is back. Ben Wishaw is the voice of Paddington. Ray Fiennes, they're perfect. But we get a couple of newbies here. We get Lashana Lynch as the, yep. the new double O who yep. kind of pops into the film. She's like a bit of a rival, right? She's like, I got my mission. He's retired. And, you know, don't get in my way. And mm-hmm. she's kind of like, you know, I, I think there was like a big firestorm, right? Of like, ah, oh, her is like the next 007. We can't do that because of racism. Was it? Racism or was because she was a woman? Both. Oh, sure. But uh, which one, which one more so than the other for venomant fans online that were angry about it? I I haven't, I haven't waged an experiment or like a control system, but I assume it's like a very, very unhealthy dose of both. Yeah. That's just a, that's a dangerous quarry, I guess. Is the internet more racist or more sexist? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a question I don't need answered, but I think that like, and I think some people disagree with me on this. I've had a couple conversations already where people are really love Lashana Lynch in this. And I like her too. I just think that the movie doesn't treat her very well. I think that she just doesn't get a lot of really good moments in this movie, at least in my opinion. Like she gets some, but yeah. there are just times in this movie where she has to like do things. And I'm like, 
oh my gosh, like it's just so, there's a moment where she says something in a room with James Bond and it's just so like outside of like the movie's parameters and it mm-hmm. makes no sense. It's outside of the character. And I'm like, I don't know, just give me the assured, confident version of this character who doesn't, you know, kowtow to, I don't know. I don't want to get into it more because it's, it happens later in the film, but sure. I don't know. Where, where did you stand on Lynch? Uh, I thought she was good um, as far as like, I thought the performance was good and I thought it was an interesting character. Um, I agree with you that especially in the second half, it kind of just felt like the movie was just like, well, she can't fully be 007. Like it, it kind of felt like they got cold feet after a point and they just decided like, well, that was enough. Like we did what we need to do. But like, yeah. I thought they cast the part well. And I thought, you know, if, if they had kept her around for future films, I would have been interested to see her character grow and develop. Though I imagine it would be kind of similar to like what happened with Naomi Harris, where like you see her in um, Skyfall and it's like, oh, yeah, she seems like a great addition. Like, hopefully she's a, a great part of the franchise. And then like Inspector, she's like an afterthought. And it's like, oh, OK. She gets some fun in this, though. We, we should we'll, we'll table that discussion, though, of like the future sure. of the franchise, because I have some questions I want to ask you about that yeah. once we open this up for spoilers. I and mean, we should probably wind down soon. But last thing I want to mention, Ana de Armas. Anyways, yes. Ana de Armas. She's she's the new fan fave right she gets introduced i mean we get jeffrey wright he comes back love jeffrey wright and felix. This, his character felix gets such a great you know send off in this in general yeah i think the only um is he the only other actor besides craig to be in all five of these Ooh, maybe because i don't think or was we, he yeah i, I, I don't forget. think we have q ben Wishon, yeah i think he's so in all five i think he's in all five of them might be the case yeah but yeah so what I love about Anna, and I, I, Anna Darmus comes in. She's like one of the CIA agents. She's only in like yeah. one scene. Uh, right, it's a long extended me. scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of figured because like all the scenes we show off for her in the trailer, she had like the same blue dress same on. So I was like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but like even so when she's just like, all right, I gotta go. It's like, wait, where are you going? Come back. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yeah. Um, she comes into the movie and. I think she's, I said this in my review, she's an instant fan favorite. I think she's going to be one of the most like uncontroversial, you know, things about this movie that really, that everybody can just come together and be like, yeah, that was a really great part of the movie. I think uh, well, one yeah. of my favorite scenes uh, in general. Yeah. Cause she has the chemistry established with Knives Out. So like she already had a great rapport right. with Daniel Craig. So it's like, okay, yeah, it makes sense that she's in this. She does a great job. And it's like, yeah, like one of the best scenes of the film for sure. Even more broadly speaking, I just think you mentioned it before. She's having fun and Craig is having fun with her. Like there is just this immediate like they're together on screen and you're like, I want to watch these two go on all kinds of missions, you know, like watching them sort of bounce off of each other. Their personalities contrast. He's a little bit like, you know, they try to do this with Lashana Lynch's character, too. And I don't think it works quite as well, where she represents the next generation of the spy craft. He's the old guard. And this, they're doing the same kind of thing with Ana de Armas here, where, you know, she's the young, she's fresh out of training and everything. And he's just sort of like, oh boy, you know, here we go. And he tries to like woo her with his charms, but she is like not having it. And it, it, there's just this really great sort of like driving uh, energy between them that's way more unpredictable. And I'll say it again, it's fun. Like it's really fun. And it's sad that it only lasts a scene. Maybe that's for the best because then it doesn't get ruined. But yeah, I think sure. that for a lot of people, the movie might actually peak at this point, uh, which is, you know, a good. Th- I guess like it's 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 that good, and the rest of it's not that it's bad. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there was no moment in this movie where I was smiling and having as much fun. I think it's the one part of the movie that doesn't overstay its welcome. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Although I do, I guess I disagree slightly. Well, yeah, because by the time I get to the third act, I'm tired. I'm like, please, just please no more. <laughs> like, this is too long. But there, there is one scene involving one of the like surprise villains and we're in this sort of like foggy Norwegian location and it's building up to this big epic battle and it's just cut short. Like, it's so like, uh, just a quick thing happens and it's over. And I was a little bit like, oh, that, that's kind of a letdown, but all right. Um, that's everything I have to say about No Time to Die in general. I mean, I really like this movie. I think it's it's better than it isn't. And yeah. like, obviously, if you're a fan of any of the Daniel Craig movies, you got to watch. You already know you're going to watch it. So mm-hmm. what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, I guess for as much as I like it, and I think there's a lot of stuff I really think is good and worth championing. But also, like by the end of it, it wasn't. I didn't feel like hurrah, like we did it, like Bond, you know. Uh, hit it out of the park i just kind of felt like tired like eh, maybe i should take a nap after this like it was just like you, you feel like craig and this is just like all right i did it i i fulfilled my obligation to this not that i think he like hates making these movies so he certainly has said otherwise in some interviews but um yeah i think he the thing that i i remember the most about craig's time as bond is just how tired he is which i feel like shouldn't really be the case with bond though i mean obviously this is a different interpretation of the character and they want to do something uh you know with a more of a moral conscience like we said so i understand that but i'm hoping the next bond whatever that might be is a little bit more willing to have fun with the part and have a little bit more zany silliness with it i think well i should have mentioned i think he is having fun like he's making jokes in this he's kind of breaking away from that a bit here it's not a lot but i mean there there are more quips and one-liners here there are times when he's just sort of like exasperated you know what i mean like they make him kind of corny in this at times and i thought that was kind of nice i mean it wasn't enough i think to define his stamp on the franchise but it's something yeah well, I think it, it it's better at establishing that tone that I think Spectre was trying to do at the same time. Like, I think, like I said, this is like a continuation of Spectre, but that was also, like, you could tell with that film, they were like, okay, we got a little, like, we we heard the criticisms, we got a little too self-serious, like, maybe we'll have a little bit more zaniness in this film. But with that film, it didn't really quite strike that balance as well. Like, it, it tried to do that, but I think for the most part, like I said, Sam Mendes doesn't seem like the type of person that cracks jokes. Maybe he's different at parties, I don't know, I've never met the man. But um, it just seems like he doesn't he doesn't really know, like, how to add humor into his films. Uh, and I think that's not the case with uh, Carrie Fukunaku. I think he's a little bit more self-aware of that and able to balance find that balance a little bit easier. Uh, maybe would have benefited from having a little bit more humor to upset some of the bleakness of the film. But I guess it's not really here nor there. Sure. We're going to get lots more Daniel Craig and lots more things. I think with Logan Lucky, Knives Out... Uh, and I think this movie feels a little bit like Daniel Craig kind of learned from those movies that people like him when he's kind of unleashing a little bit. And I think Fukunaga kind of mm-hmm. gave him that room, which is really great to see. So, I, yeah, yeah. Craig's time in the, on, on the big screen, I don't think is near being over. And that's obviously great for everybody. Will, did you see the Rotten Tomato score for this yet? It's still in flux, obviously. But uh, Yeah, I was going to say this might be outdated by the time uh, the movie comes out in the US, but um, I have not actually seen the Rotten Tomato okay. score for this film. Yeah, I mean, so 123 reviews have been counted. We'll probably get, you know, 123 more, <laughs> right? Sure. Before all is said and done. But we already have a critical consensus. And I think, yeah, uh, I, I I don't expect this will move that much. I think this might go higher uh, if I had to guess. But what what is your best guess for what the score is right now? I, I kind of gave you a couple of hints there. Sure. Because I think 
traditionally speaking, and obviously this is speaking very broadly, but British critics are more reserved in their praise than U.S. critics, I think. Is that fair to say? More often than not, I'm assuming it's primarily uh, uh, British critics that have seen the film so far. I don't want to generalize. I think a lot of American critics have gotten into it, though, right? I sure. think a lot have because the, well, yeah, the screenings, yeah. yeah, we saw it and we, we put in our reviews outside. Yeah, I don't I don't think it skews too much in one or the other direction. Uh, So I'm going to say 83 percent. That's what it was yesterday. It oh. is now eighty five percent. Okay, and I'm I, I, just to, just to play around a little bit more. What do you think Spectre was? Oh, Spectre, Spectre I think has was like sixty four or something like that. Sixty three. Three hundred and sixty five reviews. That's a a lot of reviews. What do you think Skyfall was? Oh, Skyfall was like ninety four or something like that. Also close. Ninety two. Um, I'm looking up Quantum of Solace now. What, oh, what do you Quantum think of Solace is? was like. 58 percent let's see here or was it 61 it's loading um 64 68 percent audience score that must be what you're thinking of Mm. um and then the last casino royale i'm i'm predicting this is in the 90s but yeah i was gonna say 91 percent you say 91 yeah 94 so there we go I think the, the that definitely proves out the checkerboard thing, right? It's like every other one. But there you go. Yeah, Casino Royale. Yeah. A little bit a little bit higher of a score than this one. And I think that kind of as we already alluded, no time to die. I think it'll go up a little higher. I don't think it'll hit the nineties. I think it'll probably think maybe it'll, get to eighty seven, eighty eight, maybe. I'll say eighty four. I think there are gonna be some people who are gonna be critical of it because of length, because of where it takes a character. Um perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just wonder because it was 83 yesterday. So I'm like, okay, that's movement. But yeah, well, hard to say, hard to say. I think it, it goes up a little bit and then it goes down usually a little bit when it when the, 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 the scores settle. I should say it was 83 before I put my review in, which was positive. So <laughs> I'm kind of just, I don't have any data here. Anyway, that is our spoiler-free section of this movie. There's no audience score. There's no cinema score, so we can't really get into that. But sure. at this point, Will and I, we're going to get to the spoiler corner, and we're going to start you know, throwing spoiled milk at each other. And that's a euphemism for us talking about parts of this movie that you do not want to hear if you haven't watched the movie. So you haven't watched No Time to Die, and or yeah. if you care about spoilers, if you're kind of like, yeah, I, I really just, you know. Or you were I don't get on I don't Twitter. <laughs> and someone just happened to spoil it for you, I guess, because I've heard spoilers are already on Twitter. I didn't they see are. any, but yeah. I'd say still avoid this because you might, hey, you, you, I like operating in the, the realm of uncertainty. It's like, well, I kind of got spoiled on this, but what if they were joking? What if they're wrong? I don't know. Do yeah. what you got to do. That's my point. Mm-hmm. At this point, we are going to talk about what happens at the end of this movie. So please go away. We love you. Come back later. Yeah, come, come back. again. <laughs> yeah. We'll welcome you back with open arms. Will Ashton. Yes. We danced around it. I mean, they, they did it. They, they, they did a James Bond movie, the first James Bond movie where he dies. Yes. He's gone. There's no ambiguity and, about it, right? Right. Right. And we were joking after the movie. Like, <laughs> we both, I mean, I honestly thought they were going to do a Dark Knight Rises where, yeah, like, me he, too. like, whatever, like, they had, like, the little toasts for him and, like, he was going to, like, you just see a hand pick up the glass or, you whatever you see him at the cottage that uh they're driving to at the end of the film or something you, there would be some 
somehow, like, even though, you know, you see that big explosion on islands, like, I don't know how he's going to get out of that one. There's yeah, a part yeah. of you is just like, surely yeah, like somehow. Four right. times. Yeah. But I was right. expecting it too. I was expecting like, because they set it up right where he finds his daughter's bunny. And we got to talk about that too. Um, yeah. Bond had, the daughter thing Bond had a child. Bond had a kid. Oh, I have yeah. things about that. At first, I was going to say. Mm-hmm. He finds the toy and they're setting it up like, oh, he's going to get it back to her. But then it's false hope. And then but then yeah. I, at toward the end, I was like, oh, gosh, you know, we, were cut, we cut to like the backseat of the car. Yeah. And, you know, she has the toy again. And you're like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Right. I thought they were going to do that. I thought they were going to do it, but do it maybe more ambiguously. Of like, maybe he's alive. You never know. Yeah. But um, the daughter thing. I don't know, maybe it was just me and maybe I, I kind of uh, tuned out for a little bit. But I feel like with the daughter, they're kind of like you see the little girl and you're like, oh, so Bond has a daughter. And then Leah's yeah. just like, oh, no, that's not your kid. And Bond, like, Bond's like, but are you sure? She has, her, including it's like, are you sure? <laughs> she has blue eyes like me. It's like, no, no, that's not your kid. And then like Rami Malek's just like, come on, that's his kid. And then after that, yeah. she's like, yeah, that's your kid. And then Craig never has like a moment where he's just like, oh, I have a daughter. Like I have a kid now. He just kind of just like accepts it. He probably it, has like, more. <laughs> Well, true, yes. But I just, I felt like narratively, like for a film that's almost three hours long, they could have had at least one beat where he's just like, huh. So I have, I have reproduced, like I have brought a child into the world indirectly. Like, I, I feel like that was something in the film that was missing. Maybe they had that scene. I just kind of forgot about it. Or I just was like, uh, I don't think they do, no. just, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, cause I couldn't remember. I think that. it's one of those things like, he yeah. knows the whole time, but he, I think he understands that she doesn't want her to really be hit. She doesn't want him to be the dad. I think sure. that's what they're going after. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I get that. I just felt like that was kind of done a bit clumsily in the third act. What kind of irks me about it a little bit, like I don't hate the decision, but I guess just thinking on a more meta level, it does sort of play into a trope I dislike personally where, and they, they do this, the same sort of thing with Fast and Furious, right? It's like you live this exciting life as a man, Right. Like you have these male fantasies where you do all of these action things, but it all ends when you have a kid. Hmm. And I don't know. There's just something about that. I'm just like that. Ah, it's not true. Like the adventure is just beginning. And sure. I don't know. And I definitely got the sense that there were there are alternate endings for this, though, sure. because like they probably set it up of like he's presumed dead, but he probably won't make contact because he has the disease that would kill them. You know what I mean? So like. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of things that they could have done. And I think that they left it open for that on purpose and then just chose at the final moment. Okay, no, he's done. Like we don't want any sort of like bringing him back conversations. So just write him off. Yeah. But it sounds like you were, you wanted like a movie, like uh like a Mr. Mom kind of thing where it's just like, yeah, Mr. Incredibles. In the yeah. Like uh, uh, Bond goes into M's office. just like, what's my next mission? And it's just like, be the best dang dad possible. <laughs> it's like, it's its most dangerous mission yet. And he's just like in the kitchen trying to like, you know, like watch over the baby and doing all these like, you well, know, he does like that already, right? Shit. Right. He cooks yeah. breakfast and it's, oh, <laughs> uh, but you know, you know, you brought it up. It's perfect because Incredibles, I love that movie partly because it's about that. It's like sort of subverting that trope in 2004, you know what I mean? 16 years ago, but we're still doing this thing where like the characters sort of, I don't know, they don't, they don't do it. They don't do it egregiously here, but there is just this sort of like implicit, okay, once you become a dad and you settle down, this is the next phase of your life. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm feeling a little bit bummed, I guess, because like, like I said before, I chart these movies with my life experiences. 
You know, Casino Royale comes out when I'm young. I'm ready to face the world. Quantum of Solace comes out when I'm in college and I'm facing some of the first real challenges, you know, that are really starting to find who I am. Skyfall comes out and it's just this big adventure, you know, representing my 20s. I'm like, man, anything is possible. Spectre comes out when... I'm really starting to come into my own, but I'm like questioning everything about like, what am I really good at? Like, what is my legacy? Like, am I, you know, really doing what I should be doing? And now this movie comes out where I'm like, all right, like I've, I've really just sort of settled into who I am as a person. And that's, that's a very dramatic spiel. I'm being very overdramatic, but you're, you're turning a lot on these fun (laughs) spy action adventure movies, but (laughs) sorry. Oh man. It's true though. A little slice of me, but yeah, no, I think I'm glad they killed him off. That was the right, that was the right call. But I just feel like uh, I, my whole thing with killing off Bond is like, okay, yeah, like the if we're looking at Craig's story as one continuous narrative, it makes sense. Like the idea, like throughout, even going back to Casino Royale, like the idea, like he almost has like a death wish at this point. Like he is like kind of accepting his death all the way back to like Quantum of Solace or Skyfall. So it's like it's not a matter of like if he's going to die, but just a matter of like when that, that moment happens and like how many missions can he really do? And that's like, okay, fine. Like it makes sense if you're going to end the Craig story that he actually finally makes peace with his life and dies. But, um, but then you see like the end credits and it's like James Bond will return still comes up and it's like, okay, so it's like, are we just to assume that the next era bond is just going to be like a total reboot in the way that the other movies are? Are we, are we going off of like, this 007 that we have now is the new 007. I don't really know. I don't know because, I mean, for the longest time, there was that fan theory, right? Of like, oh, James Bond 007 is all a code name. And so, like, you're supposed to take all of the different James Bonds since Connery as, like, real. But, you know, this series really put a pin in that. I mean, it always was questionable, but I think this one specifically was like, no, that's never been a thing. It's not a thing. It's just a recasted – or it's not a recasted. It's just a reboot uh, entirely. So all that being said, like, I don't know, because I think this is so definitive. That's the big difference. It's like Die Another Day doesn't kill off Bond. It just sort mm-hmm. of ends the Brosnan era kind of with a whimper. And I'd say the same thing with like, like Timothy Dalton never really gets off the ground with his. Roger Moore kind of ends unceremoniously. Connery, hey, like we mentioned. Just a View to a Kill is a fun time. That's a fun, bad Bond movie. I agree. I agree. But I think with this one, it's like, how do you do another James Bond? bond movie like i i I don't know whoever is going to do that has to work it out for them clearly they have that that they you know in their heads but what would you prefer do you do you want another james bond another specific like this 007 with money penny and q and m like do you want more of that or do you want something different i i think i'd rather just see something different but i just want i mean i like like what we have for money penny like i like this new 007 that we have but at the same time, like, I just feel like it's better to kind of, like, wipe your hands and just do something different. Because, like we said, if Bond's legacy and longevity as a franchise is beholden to Bond re- being a reflection of um, whatever, like, people's tastes are, like, what they want out of an action franchise. Right now, we have, like, Mission Impossible, uh, Fast and Furious, and, like, John Wick, where, like, they have, you know, like, these sort of, like, your traditional, like, Huge stunts, huge set pieces, like big ensemble cast, but they have like a self-awareness and they're cheeky and they, uh, you know, like they have like kind of sly sense of humor in different ways. I think 
the Bond films kind of need to do that at this point. They need to be reflective. I don't know if they need to do necessarily the John Wick thing. Like we've gotten plenty of films, action films by now that have been influenced by John Wick for better or for worse. But I do kind of feel like we need to reevaluate the franchise for this new like zoomer era yeah. like what 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 do they really want if they want bond at all like what i mean he'll come back in some fashion or another but um i mean see, well i don't the think right now to yeah. zoomers yeah zoomers don't care about james bond right but like, they, that's what i mean like they have to do like i think if they want to keep the franchise going even if they just try it like i think they have to do something like know. a younger bond think, yeah i don't know i think that they're gonna skew it more toward gen x and millennials maybe because i don't know i, I just because what do you do that connects with Zoomers? I think that they're going to be too young. They're not going to, I don't know. I mean, maybe some, like the older end of Gen Z, like where it's a little bit more of like the younger millennial maybe. But I see, that's the thing that's tripping me up about this. It's I think that I like the idea of like, for example, Dev Patel as James yeah, Bond. Think, He's always been I my I think it should be pick. a biracial Bond. I think that's, that's the next step would be to make it a biracial Bond. But then, yeah, the step after that is, well, then how do we what's a James Bond story in, you know, 2027. And as you already right. mentioned, I mean, what, if we do another one, what is the casino Royale? The sort of like, okay, we're doing something different here. This isn't because they can't just do a clone of the Craig films. They can't really do, it has to have a new identifier. And like you well, already mentioned, I mean, the big name in action films right now is John wick, which yeah. that doesn't know. Like they, I think they, they're smart enough to realize that like that's waning fast and yeah. we don't have a, like, I think the decade just started. We don't have like a new sort of appetite for action films that can inform mm -hmm. a new generation of Bond. Yeah, I mean, I think to justify doing Bond again, you just kind of have to rejuvenate the franchise in some fashion or another, be it like John Wickifying it or something. You kind of have to justify doing it again. Otherwise, I feel like audience, I mean, they might still show up, but there's going to be that air of like, what's the point? Like, what are we doing now? Like, is it just bond for the sake of bond or are we doing something new that actually kind of reflects the times in a fun inventive way and yeah. uh i like i said i mean i think the answer would be doing a biracial bond doing something with the character that we haven't seen explored in other films and getting a filmmaker or like a pair of filmmakers that bring a new stylistic sensibility to it something that, that gives it a bit more pulp a little bit more edge something that makes it like really fun and silly in a different way or even you know something that feels more emotionally yearning or something that, that does something with the character that feels like okay like this is totally different like let's see where we go with this avenue um yeah. but i don't know what that really is exactly i mean that's that's something the the estate has to figure out not me <laughs> i think that's part of it i think that you know, leaning more into the tech, leaning more into the gadgets. We just went through a very more, a much more grounded bond, a more realistic, like he's very vulnerable. What if we had a more technologically astute bond representing, you know, division and, you know, this society sort of crumbling. Maybe it's about a bond in a world where, you know, things are slowly dying or something. There's all kinds of things you can do with that. I wonder in yeah. terms of like what's informing the next like slew of things. I wonder if they would just not, I don't think they'll do this, but if they did a James Bond series someday instead of James Bond movies, you know, if they, yeah. they're like, well, oh, we're going to do something a little bit more like it's going to have the budget, it's going to have the prestige of James Bond, yeah. but it's going to be not in the movie theater, which I don't think that'll ever happen. But I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, if we're looking at like, so, I mean, the one of the elephants in the room we haven't addressed is that Amazon now owns MGM. So they have ownership and stake in the Bond franchise moving forward. 
Um, and you know, like they're, they're claiming the fame as far as like being a content creator is like Jack Ryan and these like shows that, you know, it kind of appeals to middle-aged dads and all that stuff in the way that the Bond franchise does. And so it wouldn't be out of the question to do like whatever, like a series about like cadet Bond, like in whatever school or training or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Young garbage like that. Well, I was actually going to pitch. I wonder if they would ever do an MI6 show where it's like post no time to die. And it's about Ray Fiennes, Ben Wishaw, like no Naomi Harris, like do a show like that where it's about that crew, you know, maybe they brought in Lashana Lynch too. And it's, sort of in that continuity but it's because like what else do you Agent do with those cody characters banks. we love them what yeah agent cody Agent banks. cody banks example cody banksing of uh the bond franchise kind of i mean well they did yeah. alex Ryder, you know based yes. on the novels and like that you know there was a movie for that too and that was good that was a good show i like yeah, that, I like that show i didn't i didn't watch it but i know you were a fan of it um but, i mean that's yeah. that's a good idea for a show i don't know think about it. maybe i don't know i mean i would rather it continue as a film franchise if they can keep it going as because like i said it's like uh it's one of the biggest action film franchises for for a reason i think they yeah they well i'm just talking about maintaining about, the mi6 cast like sure. keep them in the mix because i think if they're going to do another thing they're going to have to recast all those characters or well, do something totally different with it right or do you think they're going to keep those do you think they're going to do the m thing with judy dench yeah. where they, they're they're here but like it's a new day. I don't know. I was going to say, because didn't the actor play Q, like play Q for a long time before Ben Whishaw? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, They, they could just do, I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind like uh, Ben Whishaw still being around as Q. But I guess um, the difference is that the Bond dies in this. So like, how do you, I guess that's what makes it different. It's because you could just right. sort of move from Connery to more be, and sort of assume it's the same guy. Those those are so standalone. Those movies don't really go together. So you could just sort of suspend disbelief there. Yeah. But you can't really do that in this where it's so serial. Yeah. Right. But I think, I don't know. I just feel like if they try to keep it going with the supporting characters, that, that kind of takes away from the finality of the ending and being like, this is it for Bond. Like, or this is it for whatever 007 or whatever. Cause if they were just like, and here's a new 007 in this universe, it just feels, I don't know. It, it, it just doesn't. Cause like I said, there's the ambiguity to the, the other bond films in that. Like, is it uh, the same bond? Like as a character, or is it like a new bond? It's like every film sort of different in that respect. And so I would think the easiest option would just be like, if you want to keep like the epicness of whatever of, of this film, just kind of wipe your hands, be like, okay, we finished that version of bond. Let's just, start from scratch and i feel like that would be the most fun inventive way and like kind of just see where the character should go from there my concern is that they're gonna i mean nothing against tom holland but i feel like they're gonna like pick tom holland and try to like marvelize bond and that's that that's what concerns me or he's gonna be like well that happened and like do things like that and like <laughs> i don't know well that happened indeed um one thing we do know though one thing that is has been made clear that Barbara Broccoli, she's on the lookout. You know, Michael G. Wilson, they're they're looking for yeah. the next Bond. They've said as much that like the name James Bond is still going to be out there, at least for the time being. We'll see if that holds. Mm-hmm. But that is, I guess, the plan for now. I, I hope we get some time because I think apart from like people need time to sort of sit and marinate with this part of the franchise yeah. that was so long. It's a very long time for a single Bond, uh, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Um and I think that, yeah, once we get past this, once we actually get into a new era of action films, maybe the answer will become clear. But we need that time to gestate. We need we need a rest. And 
then we'll be ready for anything. We'll be ready for the next mission. Yeah. I mean, I think there are several avenues they could go. Um, I don't know which one is best for the franchise at this point, but um, as I've told you, I mean, I my if I had to throw a hat a name in, in the hat, I'd probably pick John Boyega because I think it would be fun to see him as Bond. But maybe he has too much star power with the Star Wars films. I don't know, but I don't know. The, the future I think, is. Unwritten. I think the Bridgerton guy is my other pick. Um, oh, Renee. Has- um, yeah, I can see. Yeah, he he could pull it off. Yeah, I'm looking up his because I can never pronounce it correctly. Rajay Jean Page is that how you say it? Yeah, love him. Sorry, yeah, Rajay. Yeah, I think he's like the right age. I think he's like young, but not too young. Uh, I think that he could really grow into it. I think sure. he's really. He, I, I liked Bridgerton enough to well, see him in is, more things. So yeah, how old is he? He's 31. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's my age. If they get on it, I mean, I just don't think they should pick anyone that's older than 35. It's like the opposite of the U.S. president. Like they need someone <laughs> that's not 35 or older. I think at this point, if they want to keep the franchise like going yeah. long term, that's a sweet spot. Yeah. Well, we'll find out someday what they're going to do. Until then, though, uh, that we we've just had our conversation about No Time to Die and lots of Bond things. We finally had our Bond conversation. It was long. But it was needed because we've never really gotten into it before with yeah. Bond. Not not maybe, to this extent. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll have, like you said, if they, whatever, two or three years from now, they're just like, another Bond film, we're doing it over again. Go. It's this guy now. We'll and they blame us. They're film. like, well, John and Will told us to do this. They said they yeah. gave us the 35 rule. Sure. Well, I should march to the MGM offices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because people always listen to my opinion in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, they um, do. They do. We, yeah, you know, but, you're right. We'll, yeah. we, we should elect the next James Bond. No, don't do that. The internet will elect oh, South Park. It'll pick like Pete Davidson or something. Like that's, that's what <laughs> I'll be in Bond. Uh, if you like our show, subscribe. I can't a Mountain Dew is Bond now. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate you listening, especially if you listened uh, even before you saw the movie, even though I hope don't get mad at us because we just spoiled the heck out of a lot of stuff. Uh, we'll be back for the show next week, I think. What are we talking about again? I already forgot. Venom? Yes, uh, so, Venom, let there be carnage. Yeah, Venom and many is going to be... Yeah, and then the week after that, I think we're going to do uh, Titany. Titany? Yeah. That was the deal. It was or like, Titane. we're not going to do No Time to Die until, yeah. as next week. We're going to do Titan, Titany, which I just watched today. And yes. that that's going to be a conversation. I'm very excited. Us. Yes. I'm not. Hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking I don't forward know. to it. All right. <laughs> I think there's going to be some road rage. You know what I mean? Mm. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.